0: Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small-town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country, there's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie.
1: Hi, my name is Wendy Fleming-Dexter, and I want to welcome you to Life on the Illinois Prairie. If you've joined us today, I think you're going to be in for a treat. I always am appreciative of anybody who takes time out of their day to listen to this podcast, and today is no exception. I want to uh, welcome my guest today, Sarah Livesey. Sarah, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. Big fan. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's really interesting how this came about for us to be together today. You called us to called Stacy and me to play a gig at uh, one of your upcoming events, and out of that came you being a guest on the podcast. And I I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here. Oh, same
0: here. This is this was meant to be. I'm. I think we both have a lot to share together. I'm
1: excited. Well, I'm excited for you to share with our listeners. Tell a little bit about yourself, if you would, and what this is all about and the, the organization that you're here to represent, if you would.
0: Of course. So I am, as you mentioned, Sarah Livesey, and I am the executive director for a conservation land trust based here in East Central Illinois called Grand Prairie Friends. And so my life on the prairie, on the Illinois prairie, <laughs> looks like protecting and conserving not just prairie, actually, but forest lands and wetlands across 130 miles from north to south. And based here in East Central Illinois, six counties. So we're all the way north up to Watsika, Illinois, and we preserve spaces all the way south down to Shelby County, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so that includes everything you can imagine when you look at that map, that really fun Mm -hmm. Interstate 57, north to south, that doesn't show a lot of fun, uh, actually. But Watsika, Illinois, you know, is our Ford, and we have Iroquois County. Then, of course, we're down south to Champaign County and Vermilion County, And then Coles County and Shelby County. So those are the majority of our land holdings. And we've been doing this since 1984, protecting these spaces. Mm. So it's been a while.
1: (laughs) I guess so. And you've done a tremendous amount of work. I was not aware of all the areas that you covered. I know Stacy and I had, we've stumbled on a couple of them without even realizing they were part of your organization, So how do you how uh, would you explain what the mission is of Grand Prairie Friends? I mean, you may have covered that a bit already, but what exactly is your mission? Yes. So as a
0: conservation land trust, which in itself is a little bit of an interesting animal, people always try to put us in kind of a a little cubbyhole, but they they often think, well, are you associated with the government? Are you a forest preserve? Are you a park district? Are you a state park? What are you? <laughs> and and <laughs> land trusts aren't something you run into every day, but we are a, a nonprofit. So, as a land trust, we are none of those things I just mentioned. We're not a government agency, we don't receive tax funding. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. So we are classified as a charity, and our mission is, as a land trust, we have really three big pieces of the mission. So we, our job is to uh, preserve spaces and take care of natural areas. It's to then restore those areas, mm-hmm. and that's the disconnect I think a lot of people think about. When they think about preserving and taking care of things, sometimes, unfortunately, they think, well, we'll... We'll buy it and we'll hold it and we'll put a gate around it and we'll keep it safe forever. Mm -hmm. But that's not conservation. Conservation is when you also then restore those areas and steward and take care of those spaces. If you let things just go, Mm -hmm. you're going to let invasive plants come in and you're not being a good steward of the earth. So we first preserve the space, then we restore and steward and take care of that space. And then the last piece is promoting about the work that we do. So I always like to say that even if you sit in a lab and you cure cancer one day, but you don't ever go back out the door and tell other people what you did and how you got to that and how to share that so others can take part in that and be saved and whatever, whatever you created, <laughs> then you really didn't do anything, did you? And so that is what I look at as Honestly, maybe the most important part of our mission, because I won't be here forever, and nor will my members and donors that are part of Grand Prairie Friends. None of us will be here forever. So our job is to create that next generation that love Mm. and will take care of this space and teach them and give them opportunities to bond with these natural areas. So that's the mission: is to preserve, to restore, and to promote about. Mm. These natural areas that's what we do.
1: Well, that's absolutely fascinating. I had no clue really, that all that was involved in Grand Prairie friends. and you have a thousand sixty acres. Has that increased since the last time I had seen that number?
0: Yes, we have crept up just a little bit. Last year, we acquired a new remnant prairie, which a remnant. I'm gonna throw a bunch of fun five dollar words at you today. I, I like to call them. Uh, they're kind of the the fancy words you can pull out of your back pocket and impress your friends at the dinner table tonight. <laughs> but uh, remnant prairies are one of those remnants, meaning original, and those are the tall grass prairie pieces that were not. Disturbed by a plow or a building being built on it, but these are spaces that were left intact. And so the seed bed mm-hmm. is intact, and in central Illinois, one of the two places that you can find original tall grass prairie, I bet you could guess where those spaces might be. I don't know if you want to venture a guess, but what where is somewhere someone wouldn't build or couldn't build? I don't know if you have any guesses <laughs> in Cole's County. Anywhere, just that kind of landform. Anywhere where you wouldn't want to build on top of it.
1: A, a any place with uh, water, like a swampy type area. I know there's not much swamp area left here, but anything that's that's not been drained of the prairies. That I've, I know from the other, from what I've learned in the past, that like Douglas County had a lot of was one of the last. Counties to be drained, and I don't know if that was is relevant yeah. to this or not. <laughs> it is.
0: It is honestly one of our sites is called Bonnie's Prairie up by Watsika, and it is a wet prairie sand pond. Hmm. So you're exactly right. Those kind of places would escape being built upon. The other places are cemeteries and hmm. railroad right of ways. And so, Grand Prairie Friends now manages four cemeteries <laughs> because how interesting. These, Yeah, these were original tall grass ecosystems that the plow didn't oh. disturb, a building couldn't be built upon, and so they're original. And um that's so so to my point, I was just telling you with the Prospect Prairie. We just we were just able to acquire that last year and that is an original tall grass prairie cemetery up by Paxton, Illinois. Paxton, Illinois. And yeah. so that's up near, near Fort Iroquois. So, we're just creeping over the 1060. We're right at about 1100 acres.
1: So, Hmm. Well, that's a, that's so interesting because I know with all all the progress, all the building, all the acquisition that that happens all the, around us with the land, it's amazing to me that there is that there are these little pockets of prairie around mm-hmm. that you can actually work with and find that I never even thought about that. You know, mm-hmm. kind of the vir- well, not virgin land, but something that's not been disturbed like that. They just just have to be very few and far between. How do you find out about these places?
0: Well, there are historical records. Actually, back in the 70s, the state of Illinois embarked on a huge, 70s and 80s, embarked on a huge project called the Critical Trends Assessment Project, And they also did an Illinois uh, natural areas inventory. And they sent out scientists across the state to find these hidden gems that were still in existence. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: they created a registry, just as you would imagine, of these high Mm -hmm. conservation value spaces that were left behind. And so that gives us somewhat of a map of where these high quality areas still remain, a lot of them are in private ownership. So just on someone's family farm or on their family's land. Uh, And so the hope is that these spaces are being taken care of, but there's no guarantee of that. But if some of those spaces were to come available for sale, that would certainly rank pretty high for a land trust to invest and get the resources, write the grants, do all the things we need to do to collect those funds and try to save that space? That's a great question. Hmm.
1: Well, thank God that the people back in 1970, the people of Illinois, these scientists and and people that had that interest over 50 years ago to see ahead to the future, uh, how precious and rare these things would be. I just don't think people realize that's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is that, you know, I love Chicago. I love, I love the areas that, that have, you know, museums and culture and things that you can see there that you can't see any place else. But, you know, when people get on the interstate and they fly up and down going from here to St. Louis or wherever they're traveling to, you know, they don't get off the roads, main roads, and see what we have to offer here. And these things that are really so critically important to so many people and you know Stacy and I love to be out in nature and love to be a part of God's creation mm-hmm. and especially when there are parts like that that are so little of that left you just want to hang on to those with every every fiber of your being before, you know and pass it on you have children to pass it on to and you know someday grandchildren that so they can see what our ancestors some of what our ancestors saw it's in this so true state and
0: and so the in Illinois we're one of the few states that actually have a nature preserves commission and that's kind of an arm of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources but but it's a, it's its own body but as a land trust the interesting thing we do so we are a private nonprofit we are are considered private landowners like I said it's not tax money we write grants and we have donors and members that help us collect and raise the money for these spaces. But because we have this Illinois Nature Preserves Commission, which is actually turning 60 this year, uh, which again is unheard of for many states, the, you know, as a private nonprofit, we want to ensure that anyone that would give money to us or to a project feels secure, that that money is going to the right thing. And so, what we do is we hmm. buy the properties and we hold the property deed. But then we have the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission come in and place an easement on top of that so that they are now babysitting us. Hmm. And we call that a land and water reserve or nature preserve. There's different levels you can register your property under. And then essentially, it gives everyone a better sense of security that, wow. You know, Grand Prairie Friends does great things, but they also have the Nature Preserves Commission looking over them and helping them make sure they're doing the right management for that forest or that prairie. And they also provide resources and guidance and things. Um, And so most of our properties, about 80 percent, are in the Illinois Nature Preserve system. And that's why sometimes you'll go to our properties and you'll see Warbler Woods Nature Preserve or you'll see Edna Burnett Land and Water Reserve. Those are the different levels that we Mm. have registered that to put an extra seal of protection on those sites.
1: Wow, so it's just like an oversight committee to make sure that everything is, that there's nothing that slips through. How amazing is that? I would have never, never realized all those different layers and levels of under the heading of conservation. I'm, I'm really blown away by all this, and I love being educated, so you're You're just teaching me a lot, and I hope our listeners will be learning a lot as well. So, you—I know you don't do this all by yourself. (laughs) That um, without a a group of dedicated people, volunteers that, like we talked earlier, that like to get their that don't mind getting dirty and sweaty and get out there and getting in the land and uh, working and removing these invasive plants and doing all the things that you do, acquiring the land and having uh, it—I know is one thing, but maintaining it and uh, trying to keep it in that pristine state has got to be more work than I could imagine. How is all that accomplished and how do you reach out to these people or do they come to you? How do you get the word out?
0: Yes. So it works both ways. Definitely. We have two full-time land staff and that is it for You know, the 1,100 acres across 130 miles. So you are uh, 100% correct. We couldn't do the work we do on all of this land without our volunteers. And that's just the truth of the entire situation. Since 1984, Grand Prairie Friends has been volunteer driven. And that is what we still are today in 2023. And in fact, back in 2017, so we're just talking about six years ago, was the first time that Grand Prairie Friends even hired staff. So I was brought in about six years ago and my two land staff came in shortly after. But the skeleton, the skeleton of this and the bones that make it work are, are our volunteers. And we have volunteers from every region and county, from every age group. And every skill and mobility level. So we have people that aren't necessarily loving to go cut the trees and spray the stumps and do all the pulling. And that's okay, because we have a job, I think, for every human on this planet. We need, you know, cookie bakers and stampers for letters and everything you can imagine. So we really do have um, jobs for everyone. And so it's, really the only thing is, do you have a passion for the outdoors? (laughs) Do you have a passion for working with young people? Mm -hmm. Do you have a passion for just plants? We also have people that don't love people. (laughs) They love plants. They always say they're (laughs) happier (laughs) to just stay out in the woods away from people. And hey, we've got a job for you too. So our volunteers are the, the heart and soul of what we do. And so yes, we certainly recruit, we have recruitment events, but for the most part, I feel it's a culture where the right people find us and they know, you mm-hmm. know, within a couple times of them coming to an event that they're going to be around a while. It's, they, they just connect with the space. There are volunteer mm-hmm. opportunities for people all over. Everyone needs volunteers. Some of our volunteers come once or twice and don't come back, but for the most part, they always come back. The like the right people will come back, and that's how we find our people. They honestly, most times they find us. Yeah.
1: Do they often do you find a lot of people with with young children that they they want to foster that mm-hmm. caring of the of the of the land? And that conservation and that mindset that often people want to instill that in their children. And that's an opportunity for you to start your education at that level of them to try to try to conserve.
0: Absolutely. I see. uh, And, you know, before this work, I was in environmental education. And so part of my whole my whole life, I've been working with either directly with youth or with teachers trying to get their students out or parents trying to get their families out. And you definitely see that in a, in a lot of those families that come out, that's just part of the culture. It's not usually something new that they're going to go try to go for a hike today. It's, it's that they've done that since they were little toddlers. Mm-hmm. And so it really does start mm-hmm. at the, the basics, you know, when they put the baby in the backpack and go for a walk and it just becomes normal. That's normal in their household to do that. And so you like, that's wonderful to see, but in all honesty, we have to also offer all kinds of opportunities for people so that we get people in there that this isn't what they had the opportunity to do when they were little, or they didn't have a parent Mm -hmm. team that wanted to go outside. And so they're learning it for the first time, maybe as an 18 year old, maybe as a 30 year old. And so Mm -hmm. You know, we've really learned a lot over the last 20 years about how to be more inviting and inclusive with our spaces and get more people and more diverse groups out to our our places because it takes everybody. We all need to be part of this. And one of those um, opportunities, we at, at Warbler Ridge, our site, Warbler Ridge, we have 10 miles of hiking trails. But if you've seen Warbler Ridge, you might know that it's right at the end of what the Wisconsin Glacier was. So the Wisconsin Glacier came north Mm. from the north down through Illinois, and then it stopped. It stopped short just about Coles County. And so, of course, there was a lot of retreating and moving forward for, oh, you know, just a couple thousand years. Uh, But as that finally (laughs) retreated, it left behind just a completely flattened Illinois. But as you came to that Charleston area and definitely by the time you get to Effingham, you see the topography coming back and you see the ups and the downs of the landscape. And that's because the Wisconsin Glacier just didn't make it to that extent. And so that's the beautiful thing, I think, about Warbler Ridge being in Charleston, Illinois, because it's just an hour from, say, Champaign where it's flat as a pancake. But if you get on 57 and head just an hour <laughs> south, you can hike with hills <laughs> at Warbler Ridge. Mm. But the that's a beautiful thing. But it's also very intimidating, especially if you have mobility issues or young mm. families, or if you're just not comfortable in the outdoors yet. And so we mm. set out to create a small loop trail right at our Dalyville Road Entry parking lot. This is called Aspen Trail. And it's literally just a little half acre loop around what we call lovingly our little red shack. And the goal was just to get people out of their cars into a safer environment. Of course, a loop, meaning you're going to come back to the same spot. You can't take a wrong turn. And then we were also instructed it, you know through all of our research that if you could at all times see one structure while you're on the loop, it just reduces that anxiety from someone for someone that's new mm. to this area, that they're not going to get lost. And so with that beautiful little red shack, it's very visible from the loop uh, no matter where you're at. And so we put that in. We received a grant to put that in about a year and a half or so ago. And we're super proud of our little Aspen Mm -hmm. trail. It's our tiniest trail, but it's also, it's also that gateway to try and get people comfortable in these
1: spaces. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's i I'm going to quote something that I saw on your, I think on Facebook, it said, nature shouldn't exclude you are welcome here. We believe nature has power to heal people, and people should have access. Likewise, nature needs people to help heal the wounds too. Mm. That just almost makes me cry because I mean it's just it is so profound. I, did you write that?
0: I did. I do <laughs> manage that
1: Facebook page. It's, yeah. Well, it's it was it's wonderful, and it's so you know in in a world that's so divided over so many things. Mm-hmm. That is you know nature is something that can be that healer and uh, Stacy and I he, he that's his place to he, he loved to walk anywhere where there's trees he just that's okay. his that's his church and I'm finding more and more people who are saying you know re- nothing against religion but you know religion is not my thing spirituality is my thing and spirituality yes. is connecting with nature and everything that was put in nature and and respecting it yes. Yes, all of
0: that. You are correct. Yeah. You know, I always say there's so much research out there now about the physical, mental, psychological effects of nature in our lives. And it reduces anxiety and it calms your heart and all of these physical manifestations if we just take time uh, and be outdoors and When I would talk to groups, I would say, you know, my grandma and my great grandma, they had it right 45 years ago, 50 years ago, when they would tell me, go outside, you need fresh air. Like, I don't know if I was being cranky or probably who knows what, but I think grandma had it right 50 years ago before there was all this research, they knew, they knew that if you go outside, you take a walk your head gets clear, you calm. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. one of those things that we're just, you know, focusing on research and things. But I think it's something uh, we as humans have done forever, but we lose touch of that. You know, we spend so much of our lives indoors. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that live in really urban areas, they may not see trees or grass for weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. think that we need to get back to that. I definitely think that there's so much truth in in what you were just saying. Yes, nature as healer I think is is very real
1: yeah. i I do too, and I you know social media has been it's been good to me personally, but you know you when children are brought up just totally addicted to the screen and they don't they don't know to go out and listen to the birds or or look at an mm-hmm. ant heel. Or to to see what what has been put here for us to appreciate that some you know that I feel sometimes you just feel the clock ticking behind you that you know that you if you you just could on the verge of giving up hope sometimes that things will turn around but I think maybe perhaps the pandemic may have maybe that was one of the things that may have. It may be instrumental in a, in the long run in turning things around, and that we didn't, we weren't rushing to work, we weren't rushing to all these things. You weren't going to events, you know. You had to stay home. I and if you, anybody who knows my Facebook page knows that one of my passions is taking pictures. Uh, a few years ago, I got a got a shoulder tap from God that said, "You might want to. You don't have that long left. You might want to take a look around." I always thought I appreciated nature. But the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, maybe you do and maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. So I think that as as my clock is winding down, I see, you know, I see more things. You just want to absorb what there is. And I think that what you do t- and having the opportunity to pass that on to future generations is just an incredible thing.
0: Yes. And I think finding a way to merge the two worlds um, can be a great transition for Just as you said, there are youth, really young people that um, during COVID, unfortunately, went maybe the other way, even went more into electronics and media and things. Mm -hmm. And so there are some really great electronic options, some apps for your phone that you can go outdoors, like iNaturalist is one of them, and they they help the kids because they get to take pictures of a new plant and then it'll tell them what it is and then it puts them on a list. So we have if you're at Warbler Ridge, it goes on the Warbler Ridge list and you've now contributed to inventorying that site. And so there's a lot of really great mm. ways to try and and merge those worlds again, staying with the comfort level of whomever that visitor is, and and making them feel better. But photography is such a gift, and I've seen your photographs, so I know um, yeah. that you have that gift. And so I'm glad you followed through with that. We have a lot of volunteers that share their gift with us, and that's. It's so important for from a biological standpoint, because Mm. we can track then like, oh, in Warbler Bottoms, that wetland wasn't at that level last July. But, you know, it's so photographic evidence of the work that we're doing, but also just the beauty of it, too. I think um, I think there's a Mm. piece to the land trust world that we do that is nature and it is what woodlands and wetlands and things. But there's there's so many stories written and saved in the land that a lot of the landowners we we talk with, yes, they love trees and they want to protect nature, but sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes it's about saving family legacy. Sometimes it's because they had an experience there when they were in college and their dearest best friend and them used to canoe the Embra River down through that area. Now the friend has passed away. So in their memory, they want to donate or they want to, you know, support Grand Prairie Friends in some way, not necessarily because of the nature, but because of the stories that nature holds for them. And I, that's the part of this work that I really like.
1: Oh, I bet it's, it must be tremendously rewarding. Please join me next week for part two of my interview with Sarah Livesey, Executive Director of Grand Prairie Friends. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time.
0: Produced by Audovita Studios, connect your voice to the world.